Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Blessed greetings and love. Lance, welcome to Bob Radio. How you doing? Man, great, Carlos. And uh, first and foremost, thank you for having me, and, and thank you for what you do for reggae music. I, I just want to put that out there because right I know on. we all... You know, we all do this for the love, you know? For sure, for sure, for sure. Now, Lanzo is a um, reggae empresario in Miami, in South Florida, and um, he's been doing a lot of stuff for many, many years, and um, he's got a new project on the works, he's been doing a lot of stuff, he's been on radio, he produces shows. So, um, Lanzo, tell us about your beginnings in the reggae world, how did you get involved in, into reggae music? Well, interestingly enough, I actually have a kind of an interesting story. My um, my uncle worked was working with Peter Tosh when he went solo from Bob and the Whalers. Oh, wow. And, yeah, he was, played harmonica on Legalize It, was doing a little production, was in the studios with uh, Carl Peterson and Lee Jaffe. Mm. And I happened to be living with him around that same time wow. when... When when uh, legalize it came out in like seventy four seventy five yeah seventy four yeah and um, so that was legalize it was the first reggae song I ever heard and I was just blown away it was like what the heck is this right it, you know I was just like so enthralled and I was only like I don't know I was I was young I was really young and I remember sitting at home after school many a days and just reading the, the, the words to those songs word by word mm -hmm. um, and, and and I also remember like I think it was I think it had to be 74 no 75 when I actually heard the album okay and, because, and then the winter of 76 the Olympics started and I remember watching the Olympics and having that album playing <laughs> And reading those words is going, oh my God, what is this? Yeah. I was just, I was so, I was like hypnotized, mm -hmm. you know? For sure, and, for sure. And to, to, to kind of like put out an interesting story of it that relates very much to this, you know, I obviously I didn't understand what Ja was at the time, mm -hmm. you know, but I knew he was speaking what I came to be Patois yeah. and you know he had he had a song on Legalize It called Let Ja Be Praised oh right 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 thanks of you and I and I thought Ja was you and it wasn't until like 15 years later that it really totally came full circle mm -hmm. and realized that Ja is you <laughs> yeah you yeah. know what I mean yeah yeah that was my conception and my conception Got a little distorted through the years, and then 10 to 15 years later, it came back, and it was like, you know what, Ja is you. Yes, yeah, man, yeah, man. You know, so that's kind of, that's really how I started, you know, I mean, Peter Tosh was in the house, we, we met Sly and Robbie when they were backing him and touring with him. Wow. And my uncle was also a concert promoter, and he did a couple of shows with him, 
in uh, the, um, yeah, the Gusman in downtown Miami. I was just a little kid. I didn't know what was going on. I was running around backstage just having fun. Right, 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 right. Wow. So those are the very beginnings of what you did. And then so you just followed, kept on collecting reggae music. And then when did you do start doing your first radio show or your first concert? Well, you know, my uncle passed away la later that year, so we ended up getting all his records. So we had a, a very, we actually had a good record collection. And then when we moved out, I started buying records. You know, the guy in the hood had had a record, an old English guy. He was really into jazz, but he loved reggae too. And I used to go buy him. You know, usually on Fridays, I'd go buy and buy uh, reggae albums from him, and I still have many of those albums and. Um, you know, when I, when it came time to make a decision on life, I was finishing school, high school, and, you know, I was kind of, I felt like I was very geared to go to college, and, you know, mom just said, do something you love, because if you're going to live in this country, you got to work, so you might as well do something you love, and... Right, exactly. I, I went to college, and I, you know, I wasn't so much of a player, I did play drums, and I did play music a little bit. Mm -hmm. and, and it's so funny because in school, I, I pretty much, up until about high school, I made straight A's. Okay. And all my teachers would give me B's in music because <laughs> I couldn't read music, but I could play it. Okay. And, and some of them actually wanted to fail me. But I, I remember getting a D and she just, because I was A's and everything else. Uh -huh. And then, so it was just wow. interesting because... I, Still can't really read music, but I've got to obviously have an ear for it. Oh, you know? right, right. I know exactly what you mean because I can't read music. Either. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so when I went to college, I knew I wanted, I really wanted to do something with music because I loved it so much, you know. And I, I was always into a little bit more than just reggae. I was into rock, alternative rock, punk rock. Even got into metal a little bit, mm -hmm. and. You know, I always liked the organic stuff. I was definitely into the blues. I was a little bit into jazz, and you nice. know, and that's very good. You know, that fifties and sixties soul and R and B. You know, um, so I started looking into radio, and there was a radio club, and this one girl headed up the radio club my first year, mm -hmm. and she ended up leaving. She went to I went to UNC. University of North Carolina, Wilmington, and she ended up getting transferred to Chapel Hill because there was no radio station, and they have a really good cutting-edge radio station, so she ended up getting a position there and transferred, Okay. and so, you know, we tried to keep the radio club going, and I met a couple of people, and there was one guy that I met, Mark Burleson, I'll never forget him, Okay. and he and I said, let's do this. You know, and I was kind of like his assistant, so to speak, because we did it over one summer. We started to initiate. He stayed in Wilmington to actually make it happen. Okay. And and then what happened was I was kind of like there, like, you know, if I can help, like, I'll do whatever I can from Florida because I would go home in the summers. Right. And when I came back in the fall, we were full bore. Like, you okay. know, we did a... We did a frequency scan. We were submitting program submissions, budgets, and equipment proposals to the student government. And, awesome, and, awesome. And in three months, we launched the radio station, which was relatively unheard of. All right. Um, but we had a very dedicated crew. We had a great crew. And, 
you know, right. the station before us had a bad reputation, so we couldn't go back on terrestrial air. We had to go through cable. Okay. And we looked on the bright side of it because the original station was only broadcast around the campus. Okay. Whereas cable, we could broadcast wherever the cable company went. Right. And what we have ended up doing is we would have, we kind of like started it, we kind of called it pirate radio in the beginning because we'd have, we'd have installation parties and what we would do is we'd go to, we'd have everybody go to Radio Shack, buy the cable, buy the splitter, and we'd just steal the radio off the cable. Right. You know? Really? And then... Yeah, so then we, that's how we kind of made it happen. And we had a very progressive staff and a very progressive station. We, you know, every day, uh, seven days a week, we had a, a featured um, show of style of music from punk to metal to hip-hop to whatever, you know, we, we did it. I had a reggae show on Sundays called Irie Vibrations okay. from 7 to 10. And that's where I started on radio, and it was in the January of 1985. And it was Whoa. there, actually music and program director for the station pretty much the whole time I was there. And then one of my assistants took over, and I stayed at the station even when I wasn't at school for, mm -hmm. for two years. Um, and I got a job at a, the local Top 40 station that really... That really taught me radio and helped me with my voice and my vocal control and delivery. Okay. You know, I got the base. I got the basis in class and at the radio station. It was a great. It was a great experience. Mm -hmm. But the guy, program director from this local station, I, I've, I've never been able to find him because he really set me on the right path for doing radio professionally. Right, right, right. Um, I hear what you're saying. So, yeah, so, you know, I, I went there to get a job, and I remember there was two of us went for a job, mm -hmm. and the other girl, she got a better job than I did. They gave me Casey Kasem from 10, from uh, 8, to, <laughs> 8 to 10, and from 10 to 12, I was on the air for two hours on a Sunday night. Okay. So, you know, but I got my break, and he helped me, and he did air checks with me, and he would go over them with me, and uh -huh. you know, awesome. and every time, every and every chance there was a a fill, like you know, because there wasn't a lot of ads running on Sunday nights. Mm -hmm. You know, he would he'd be like, "All right, go six go six hours back and play the library cut." Well, I wasn't playing the library cut that was on the log. I was playing the only two reggae songs that were in the whole library, which were "Red Red Wine" and "Wild Wild." Wild Wild World by Maxi Paris. Right. <laughs> you know? I was like, well, hey, they got two. At least they got two, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Get in, get, 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 get what you can. Get what you can. Do what you, you know. Yeah. Do the best with what you have. That's what's right, going exactly. on. That's what's going on. So you did radio for many, many years. So you've been doing radio, reggae radio since 1985. That is amazing. 35 years in radio. Wow, that's that's very yeah. impressive. Very impressive. Very impressive. Yeah, so, still going. Not 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 doing quite as much as I'd like to, but I haven't been as aggressive either. But you know, I'm still doing radio. That's so. awesome. That's awesome. Where can where where can people listen to you on radio? Now they can, I have my own internet station where they can hear me, and uh, when I'm not on there, I actually program the whole station, and okay. I uh, I plug a lot of new stuff. You know. I actually changed the format about a year or two ago because 
there wasn't quite enough oldies. Everybody wants to hear the classics, so I kind of programmed it pretty evenly between new, um, kind of recurrent, and then the classics mm-hmm. um, right. throughout the day from 8 a.m. to 2 a.m. every day. And then I got then I got block programming of dance hall two hours, soca two hours, and then yeah. the and then uh, six to eight a.m. I've got the American style surfer. Gringo tipo de reggae, you know what I'm saying? I hear what you're saying, I hear what you're saying, I hear what you're saying. You know, man, um, so that's cultureshock, right? Dot yeah, com? cultureshock.com slash radio. Okay, so at what point did did you launch cultureshock? When, uh, when in the whole, in your career, because I've seen cultureshock around for at least 25 years, or 20 years at least. Yeah, culture, cultureshock started in, 90, in, in 95, so you're exactly right. Um, and, um, I started, I told myself, you know, I remember when internet radio started and I said, you know what, when people can listen to it on their phone or their cars, then I'm launching. And that's what I did. Um, the year they went on, on people's phones, uh, by the time I got it on air, it was, people could hear it in their cars. So it was pretty much simultaneous within, it was like a, about nine months after it launched on. On, uh, on, on, you know, on your cell, on your cell phone. So I would say, and then so, um, so, and so, you don't spell it culture shock. You don't spell culture shock the normal way. Spell out the way that that you would spell your 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 company's name. Well, um, I spell it K U L C H A, which is kind of the Jamaican patois way to spell it. And then shock is S H O K, no C. And one of the reasons for that was when I went to incorporate, there was a company called Culture Shock already. Oh, okay. So I added music to the word to Culture Shock and incorporated, so that it looked totally different, even though it's pronounced the same. Right, 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 right. So okay, so you got Culture Shock going, and then you were producing music CDs. You were actually doing the production side of stuff, right? You've worked with everybody, right? Yeah, a lot of people. I started doing production around, actually before Culture Shock started, believe it or not. Um, I was working, you know, because you know how it is working in radio. You get approached by a lot of people in the business and artists and, you know, and I, you know, so I just, I started doing more stuff because it was just that love, you know, and um, my first, first label we had, first production, I had Lanso Productions. And I did a couple of tracks with an artist called Ron Lax. Um, you know, did a couple others with some various little artists, but Ron Lax was the was the um, focus at the time. And then his manager and I formed a label called McAlprin, which was a name he came up that had the meaning of kind of like um, like the Dennis Brown song. That says from the foundation. That's kind of what McAlperin meant. Okay, to the foundation. And yeah, yeah. We started that, and we did that for a while, and and then I just when I incorporated Culture Shock, I started. Even though we all started, we were still working together. I, I started my own production, and I I did a lot of work okay. with Carl Peterson as my engineering kind of a co-producer with me. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. So Carl Petersonism. Famous, very famous 
production producer in Jamaica. He did some Bob Mar- work with Bob Marley and everybody. So just to give a little yeah. background on Carl Peterson. Yeah, it's it's actually I did an interview with him. It was easier to say at the time who he had not worked with than who he had. <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah, there you go. But That's you know, like Carl Carl has a he's a you know the the, the article was titled "Humble Lion." He's just so humble and so amazing, and has one of the best years I've ever I've ever worked with in the business. Okay, you know. You know, so, so, you, but that's, so you, you, know, you and Carl had the, the. He started working with you at Culture Shock, and you started yeah. making and you started making music. Yeah, we started making music. Yeah, um, you know, I had a lot of. I would come to him with ideas, and we done. Uh, you know, first did my the first rhythm. I think I ever did. We did over um, uh, Yahweh Day, mm-hmm. and. Um, I talked to Cox and Dodd about getting permission because we ended up sampling. <laughs> wow. And, and then the second one was Level the Vibes, but we sped up the tempo a little bit from Half Pint. Right. And, you know, that, and then we did, we did another one. We found, I found an old Sonia Pottinger CD that I had from Heartbeat, and it was just like, there was this dub on there that was just, and I'm not... I like dub, but I'm not the biggest fan. You know, there's some real crazy dub heads. I'm, but I'm, one, I'm one of those crazy dub heads, but keep going. <laughs> okay, I know you're. <laughs> keep going, keep going. Yeah, yeah. So I found this really this like hardcore rootsy dub, and I was just mm-hmm. like, oh my god, this thing is this is phenomenal. Uh-huh. And it was like, it was like, it was like the 18th track on the on the <laughs> buried in there. <laughs> Right. Buried, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So we kind of changed it up because I didn't, I didn't want to have to, um, have to like go through any more legalities after right, those right. first two. Right, 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 right. So we changed it up, but it was definitely the basis for it, and we called it Tree Roots because it was just so heavy roots. Okay. Um, and I'm probably gonna eventually re-release that rhythm and probably do it because that rhythm. I actually have Taurus Riley on that rhythm when he was 14 years old. Holy cow. Wow, dude. That's amazing. When, when he was going to Miramar High in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. So, amazing. Uh, you know, but, I mean, I can go on with stories, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of, you know. <laughs> well, that's why we wanted to talk to you. That's why we wanted to talk to you. That's why I wanted to talk to you. Make more people to find out how, yeah. how long you've been doing it. You've worked with everybody in the business. You got you have a super clean name in the whole industry. Everybody likes working with you and everything. And um, we just wanted to just talk to you and find out some of these stories that you have, you know. And um, yeah. So um, so you you kept on doing rhythms and rhythms, and you kept on, and then you start producing shows, and then um, yeah. So what's what are your, what's one of your favorite, maybe your top two favorite shows you did, and how did that go? That I did, um, well, you know, you know how it is being a DJ, you know, I, I'll, I'll just give you a little history, like, you know, because obviously as a DJ on the radio, you're DJing in all the clubs and, like, mm-hmm. venues and stuff, but you meet, uh, you know, you meet all the bar owners and the venue owners and the club owners and you meet other DJs and you play with bands and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and what happened with me and what I was pushing, what ended up happening was I always, even though I was a DJ, I was pushing the live side of reggae music because I, to me, like that was that was That's the best. That. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, 
you know, there are amazing DJs out there that are probably just as entertaining, if not more, on some of them, you know? Right. And I'm taking anything away from them because I respect that DJ culture For to sure. the max. For sure, absolutely. Um, so what happened was I started getting more into the live stuff, and then, you know, I remember what happened was, you know, they're like, oh, okay, so you DJ reggae. You want to do a reggae night, huh? They're like, oh, well, I'm not sure about that. They're like, how many people can you bring? I go... Like, like, honestly, they're like, yeah, I go, well, I'd probably like bring like 50 to 100 people. Mm -hmm. And they're like, on a, on a weekly basis? <laughs> yeah, and they're right. like, uh, And I'm like, well, I don't know. I think so. Yeah. You know? so they're like, yeah. all right, you're hired. And they're like, we'll get a band. We'll, we'll give you a budget for a band. And what we'll do is we'll give you a percentage of the bar and we'll keep it free. And I was like. That's the best formula. Right. And so. That encourages you to promote harder, and trust me, Carlos, I went all in. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I went all in, bro. You did. I was like on the street night and day, giving people I, I, like, dude, I heard I'm about it out here in California. Fire like five times. <laughs> Come on, man. I tired of seeing that fire. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of where it began. And then, uh, you know, the first shows, I'll tell you one of them just because, like, you know, I had. And, and, you know, when I was moving around South Beach and South Florida a lot, and then there was this place by my office, and I was living there for a time that was literally a block away, and I was trying to get in this venue for, like, six years because I walked there. Right, right. And right, it had right. a good reputation. You know, they did seven nights of live music, and it was a place called Jazzit, and that was a place that was very special to me. And, you know... After a while, I found out what had happened, and I finally met the new manager because the place got sold, and the old manager just was kind of was burnt out, and she was you know partying a lot, Done. just didn't care. It was over. Right, exactly. So I finally, after the transition had happened fully, right, I had just lost my Thursday spot. I was doing on a weekly basis. The bar shut down. Mm -hmm. And so I went there and said, I'm going to try again. And I met the owner. Mm -hmm. And he's like, hey, I would love to do a reggae night here. I've got a Thursday down the street. He's like, well, look, all I've got is Sundays right now. And I think Sunday would be a great day. Mm -hmm. And I told him, I said, uh, let me sleep on it. I, you know, this one isn't coming instantaneously. Okay. So let me sleep. Woke up the next day. And... Uh, um, I told him, I said, yeah, you know what? It's better to do a Sunday than not have anything at all. Right. And we did Sundays, and we had almost a 10-year run there, Carlos. Excuse my language, but it was amazing. I have to clean that up. It's all, it's all good. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Jackson became, we, in our second year, and we did it four years in a row, Mm -hmm. We won Best Reggae Night in South Florida. Wow, that is pretty amazing because South Florida yeah. is pretty heavily uh, yeah. West Indian, a lot of West Indian culture all over the, the south part exactly. of that state. Yeah. You know, and I was kind of bringing a little bit of a different energy, you know, not so much talking on the mic and hype and right. just kind of like, I was doing more like... You're doing more of a Roots vibe. Like, You're doing more of a Roots vibe than the exactly. like, dance hall and craziness that was going on at the time. Right. We called it church, just to kind of stamp <laughs> Sunday you know, service, that's what we call it, Sunday service. <laughs> right, we say church is on Sunday, right? Well, come to church every, you know? Yeah. And uh, 
So what we would do is we had we had two floors. Okay. So we had bands, live bands downstairs, and when the bands weren't playing, we were pumping in downstairs. Right. How and, then, and then we would be upstairs, um, you know, and I, I started this night by myself, DJing from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> it was rough, though. And then, you know... After like a year, we I really started to make a name, right? Right. And then all these DJs started coming up. They're like, "Hey, man, can I, you know, can I DJ with you? I love right. what you're doing." And right. da -da. and it's like, "Really?" Mm -hmm. I go, "Give me a demo now." Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, really. Give me a demo ASAP. And dude, before I knew it, I had eight other DJs. I was having to cut back, and and it really, it really flourished oh, and awesome. became. And, you know, and then what happened was it became so popular, like reggae artists started passing through and hanging out, and you know, <laughs> how awesome. And then what? And another, and another big part of it, I have to say, and this was, this was about around the time, even before you guys legalized ganja, mm -hmm. the owner didn't care. He's like, yeah, you guys can smoke all the ganja you want as long as you stay upstairs. And people are like, what? Are you kidding me? They would come by and just smoke a joint. And be just because they could, right? You know, Sweet. you know, and, and it even went to the extent one night we got raided, and the sergeant of South Beach police said to me, "said Look, I don't, I know what you're doing here. I don't care. You do whatever you want. But if I, if somebody is gonna roll a joint and fuck it up right in front of me, I gotta take them." I said, yeah. "Look, officer, you didn't have to tell me that, but thank you, and I appreciate right. that." Awesome. You know? Awesome. And so, and so, so then when, with all the artists passing through and the vibes, we started inviting artists, you know, and we did, I mean, we did all kinds, I mean, we had, I mean, I can't even tell you, one of the greatest nights, and this wasn't even promoted, Okay. one of the greatest nights of my life, period, not okay. just promoting it, one of the greatest nights of my life, and there's actually about a five minute clip on YouTube on my YouTube channel, it's when, um, this is what happened. I'll add it, it to the interview South so you guys can see it. Yeah, there was, there was, there, there was a, a South Beach Food and Wine Festival. It's when Zicky launched his food line. Okay. And so he introduced his food line at the South Beach Food and Wine, and he was the headliner. So his brothers went to the show, right? Okay. And so I get a call. I get a call from one of the boys from the camp of, of Tough Gong, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and ghetto youths. They're like, yo, Bredgen, we're going to pass through. Line us <laughs> up. I said, no problem. Just let me know when you're downstairs. I'll get you the VIP parking right out front. Yeah. Whatever you need to drink is on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they pulled up about 11, already kind of drunk on wine, and they mm -hmm. were like, we need some more. We need a couple more bottles of red. No problem. They'll be upstairs. Okay. And Steven hands me this CD and goes, give this to the DJ. Tell him to play it right now. Mm -hmm. I said, no problem. <laughs> I'm mad. We put the CD in, mm -hmm. and you know what it ended up being? It was an album listening party with Steven selecting mm -hmm. Damien Jr. Gong Marley MCing for... Um, mad. God, what was that comp what's that compilation series they have? It's just uh, would be. Uh, set up shop. Set up shop. It was set up shop volume one. Okay. And they played the thing in its entirety. Right? Wow. And they were like MC and pulling it back, singing it, passing the mic around. How and awesome. 
that, that was definitely went on a highlight. For about, that went on for about an hour plus. And I told my DJ, I said, look, whatever is the hardest rhythm you got, just drop that mother as soon as they're done. Right. And he dropped that, and then they just started going off. Wow. And that was when uh, he had Joe Mercer with him, Johan Marley, and right. they were, you know. Killer. They were def- and then they got on the mic and free, you know, freestyled and... Um, what a vibe, what a vibe, what an energy. Oh, my God, it was amazing. And the thing was, we ran out of, we had a video cartridge. One of my boys from New Jersey was there, P-Dub, mm-hmm. and he filmed the whole thing, and his cartridge ran out. We were running around oh, trying wow. to find cartridge, but it ended up, that was one of the best nights, and probably my second favorite night was there as well, because one of my all-time favorite artists of all time Mm-hmm. Is half pint. Half pint was very influential, okay. and I always told myself I got to do a show with half pint. I think I met you with half pint. If I, I, exactly. I, I think you're so. going back. That that rings a bell. Yeah, go ahead. And so, you know, I had I invited half pint to come perform upstairs at Jazzit, mm-hmm. and it was just a dream come true, and it was so amazing um, to have him perform there for those people and. Like, some of my best friends were there that never stay up past 11 o'clock at night until <laughs> 5 o'clock in the morning. What did you do to me? My wife is ready to kick me out of the house. You know? And there was, that was like our childhood favorite, you know? And How fun. Those, How fun. Those were like two of my favorites for sure of all time. And, you know, the only, the only other experience I could tell you that was on that level and it wasn't really a show that I was promoting, mm-hmm. but it was a show that I DJed at, mm-hmm. and it's, it's one's in the world, actually. Okay. It's called... What's it called? It broke up a little bit. And What's it called? What's I the name of the show again? I was with a promoter. What's the name of the show again? It was breaking Summer up Jam. Summer Jam. Okay, yeah. Okay. Wow. Summer Jam. Okay. Yeah, Summer Jam. So, I got invited, you know, a friend of mine invited me over there. Summer Jam is in Germany, you guys, in case you're wondering. Yeah, yeah, um, I forget the name of the city, but it's the third largest one in Europe. Cologne, I think? Say again? Cologne, is it Cologne? Yes, you're absolutely right, Cologne. Okay. So, went there, and that was by far the biggest show I'd ever been to. That was when Snoop Lion came out. The day he headlined, Mm -hmm. they said there was 110,000 people that came through the gate that day. Wow. That's massive. And there was literally people camping as far away as a mile away. Like there was a whole, a whole nother world on the outside of this venue. Mm-hmm. And what happened was they would get so many people. Mm-hmm. They created a village uh-huh. that had restaurants, paid bathrooms. Mm-hmm. Wow! Um, people take showers. Yeah, like yeah. Anywhere that there was a space, there was a tent. Right, right, and right. And they created this little entertainment center on the outside, and it was and it was like DJs and artists would just come and perform for free all day and all night. Right, how and fun! I got invited to DJ on there, mm-hmm. and you know, and I was Carlos. I'll tell you, I've never. <laughs> even in Jamaica, yeah. even in Jamaica, I've never seen so much people know so much about the music, like singing every word 
to every song, so and not mad. even the big songs, like the like maybe the early like you what you and I might call the early juggling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're singing, they're singing all ten songs on the rhythm, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah, this yeah, is, yeah. This is the uh, maddest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and, you really have a big love so, for for, for uh, reggae God. in Europe. I have, I have so much appreciation for those people and respect. And I'll tell you, Carlos, the digger I deeped, the more they loved it. Right. And one day, I just like, it's like, oh, you want to do something a little different in the daytime? I said, sure. Right. And I'm telling you, there wasn't, it wasn't, I just dug, I dug as deep as I could. Okay. And people were like, they were blown away. And I was blown away that they knew this music. Like, I was, I was, I was pulling out like, some 19, early 72 Twinkle Brothers. And they were like, <laughs> they were like saluting. And I'm like, holy moly. Wow. You know, like, so fun. So fun. You know, it was just an amazing, amazing experience. And then, and then it was crazy. The last part of this, this, this experience was, you know, you know, I made my name partially on dancehall because of the golden era of, of the 90s because I helped break a lot of those records in the U.S. Okay. And that's a whole other story. But mm -hmm. what happened was I was, I've kind of, I've always been a roots man, but I, I, I still like dancehall. I'm just oh, a little more so. Absolutely. You know, it just has an energy. And, and then what happened was like this supposedly, well, whatever, you know, there was kind of a guy, he was an African, there were a lot of Africans there. Okay. And there was this African guy. He was a DJ. He had a sound name, and he lived in. You know, he was actually, you know, supposedly was pretty popular. He was a good DJ or whatever. And something happened, and he got flustered, and he like ran the stage. And one of the guys, uh, the guy who kind of ran the whole thing, was an African guy too, a real nice guy from Sierra Leone. Okay. And um, he was like, "Hey, would you do me a favor? Can you go back up there and DJ?" And I go, "What do you want me to do?" And he's like, just do anything, whatever you feel natural doing, just do it. I don't want to lose this crowd. Yeah. So there was this abrupt end, and this guy was going hard in the dance hall, right? Okay. Right, right, right. So I'm like, all right, what, what am I going to do? So I, what I did is I just pulled, I pulled out the joy or I rid him. Mm -hmm. And the place bust, Carlos. The of place course. Bust. Mad. And I just, I just went through the 90s, and I told him, I said, look, I'm done. I'm like, I did about an hour and 30 minutes of straight, almost 90s dance hall. Right. And he goes, great, that's fine. Just play a couple more and tell them goodnight or whatever. And mm -hmm. it was probably like 2 o'clock in the morning, and the festival had been over for like two hours. <laughs> <laughs> and we were, you know, it was cool. And that was, you know, that's just, that's an experience I really like to share outside awesome. of the just because it was such a great experience. Man, that's killer vibes, man. That's killer vibes. Yeah. That's and, you awesome. know, and thanks again, Carlos, for letting me to, to talk, man. You know, it's, it's very, very... These are, these are awesome stories. People need to know, you know, like there could be some young selector out there like, man, how do I get involved in reggae music and do something? Get involved in the club. Start talking to people, producers. What, rub, rub elbows with musicians, whatever. You know, find your yeah. way into the... Into the, into the industry, into the vibe, into the family of reggae music, yeah? Yeah, yeah. for sure, man. It's so uh, earlier, before we started the interview, you have a brand new project. You say that you have an, this artist um, who's Peruvian, who has yeah. some Jamaican links. Let's tell us about your, your newest, your, your next project. 
Um, okay, well, that's I have about three. Um, that's one of them. Um, okay. Let's get into this one, and we can talk about I, your, those other ones if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to just talk a little bit about that history of it, because I, I like we said, I, I had a weekly open mic reggae night with a live band that was fronted by Willie One Blood, mm-hmm. and we used to have a sign-up, and we'd have people come and sing, and you know, even even band players would come and sit in and whatever, and mm-hmm. it, it it didn't last long, not because it wasn't doing well, but because the the venue got shut down. Okay. Um, but the diamond in the rough was a young man named Oscar Gonzalez. He goes by the name of Kokai. Okay. And Kokai is a very humble, very loving, and just very nice, just one of the nicest guys you could ever okay. meet. Irie level vibes. And, you know, yeah, just totally. And he, you know, he's always willing to help anybody, do whatever he can for people. You know, and he, um, he, now he's like fully into reggae. And he was like that that jewel that came out of there. There were actually a couple of musicians that came out of that that um, I've helped with bands and stuff. But you know, he was really the diamond in the rough and. He and I have been working together ever, pretty much ever since. You know, I helped him put them, a band together, and he started a band called um, Rhythmatics. Okay. Um, then he changed the band from Rhythmatics to Kokai and the Truth because okay. it was basically his band. Okay. And you know, they started off as a three-piece. He plays bass and sings. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and um, you know, and then there was a guitar player and a drummer. Okay. Um, the guitar player ended up leaving. He got another guitar player. He added a keyboard player, and he's actually got a he's got a really nice band. And I actually use them to back artists. Like when artists come to town and we don't have a big budget, uh-huh. I get him. You know, he's great about rehearsals, and he's backed Warrior King for me as one of the bigger names. So, and nice. Warrior King was impressed. So, you know, and now what's happened is we've come to. He's always he had one of his earlier songs. He had, I always loved it, and always thought it could have been done better, and it just came that time, and uh, we went into the studio about a month ago, and it turned out, like, he added a new bass, and the new bass line is phenomenal. Okay. And, and, the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the melody got even stronger. Okay. So the song has, stepped up even from where it was um and that's that that song is almost done all it actually needs uh, all it needs is what you're breaking up there is saying, and it was breaking up there a little bit so you're saying uh, all it needs is a little bit of harmonies okay harmonies i got you okay i got you you're back on that and you know and then you know obviously we uh you know, and mixing and all that. But then, so I told him, I said, hey, you know, what else you got? And he's like, oh, give thanks and praise. And I'm like, what? That's, you haven't recorded that song? I know that song. I'm like, yeah, we're doing that one for sure. So we recorded that one and okay. we're working on that one. And we got some of the guys from Earth Cry to record on it. And Philippine. we've gotten. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Yeah, because I wanted, on the, on the new track, I wanted some of that newer energy, you know? Yeah, very uh, cool. So that, that's, uh, you know, and it looks like, you know, so far it's been going, we're two for two, um, and, you know, he's got a third one, and then I, you know, I write I write songs as well, so I'm going to introduce some of my songs to him. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, because I've always, that's always been a, a great, one of my 
outlet, so to speak, is okay. kind of to kind of nurture an artist. And you know, I used to do it with uh, an artist named Wookie J back in the days. I've heard that name. Uh, yeah, he was schooled by Nicodemus, so he had that 80s dance hall kind of style. Very but cool. you know, that's kind of one of the main projects in the forefront. But also, what's happening, like with this first song that I was telling you about, and the baseline was so wicked. Mm-hmm. We're actually right. gonna make a rhythm. We're gonna make a rhythm out of it, and nice. we've uh, we've submitted it to everybody that's heard it. Loves it. Like they're just blown away um, by that one. And there's another one. There's another one I'm doing um, called, which is these two projects are pretty much simultaneous. The album uh, and the uh, other one is a rhythm. It, um, the rhythm's called Warm Skin. Okay. Um, and and what happened with that one? I I can't mention names just yet. Okay. Um, but what happened with that one is it's got that kind of. You remember um, Biddy McLean's "Walk Away from Love," that mm-hmm. old school '60s sound? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, kind of like that on the verge of that ska rock steady sound. Right. Um, Wicked. We kind of went for we kind of went for that sound, and uh. I got. I got an acapella from an artist, okay. and I was like, I really like the song, and I was like, why didn't they ever like put this out? It was kind of like a hidden track, and I was like, why they never didn't? Why they never put it out as like a, a full song? Mm-hmm. So I took it upon myself. I saved the song for a while, and you know, this was this was like probably a week before the other one. We uh, I got some musicians together and told them my ideas and you know we started playing around with it and we built a rhythm to the song we had to kind of edit the vocals a little bit to keep it because it wasn't totally in sync okay so this over and that one's called warm skin and i'm gonna wait till the project's done okay and then i'm gonna approach the artists and see if they're willing to let me release it all right um, um so that's something to go and that one, that one, that one rhythm is kind of out there. That's the one that's really kind of I'm kind of pushing first. Okay. So kind of maybe maybe the other rhythm will be the first single from Kokai's first album, right. or from his album, and then you know back it up with maybe a second one, and then release the rhythm or something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And then um, my last kind of project in the forefront right now is a sub brand. Of culture shock. All right. Culture Latino. Okay. Wicked. And, um, you know, I've always been a big fan of the Latin and Spanish-influenced roots reggae music. Right on. And we started a party um, about six years ago called Culture Latino where we kind of highlighted that type of, type of stuff, you know, the culturas, the yeah, cantumana, yeah. los cafres, pericos, yeah. you know, those kinds were the more popular ones we would play. And Alerta, Alica, yeah. You know, we started it as a monthly, and at the time I was talking to Stepwise up in San Fran, mm-hmm. and he had a night that he was doing just like that. Yeah, up in Oakland, yeah. Right up in Oakland, and what happened was they had started it, and we were gonna, we were supposed to be working together, and we, I mean, we we do work together, mm-hmm. but we were like gonna invite artists that could go both places, and right. we were trying to start a couple of culture Latinos, and 
I'm still very much open to that. And we were going to have artists come and we'd have them show up at all the different culture Latino nights. That sounds dope. Yeah, so that's what happened. And, you know, um, Car- uh, Stepwise has the Instagram, mm-hmm. and I added my own culture Latino reggae. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a new Instagram, and I got culturelatino.com. We're going to eventually launch a, um, a website, and we. We have a logo that basically says Culture Latino with all the flags from all the countries where Spanish is a primary language. In okay. some countries, it may not be the first one, but it's a close second, and we included some of those like Curacao and uh, one of there's another uh, Dutch island. You know, there was a couple of them that were like. How oh, awesome is that? Yeah. Very cool so project. Got, Very cool project. Yeah, it's got it's got everything in every Spanish country, from yours of Colombia mm-hmm. to Puerto Rico to Paraguay to you name it. They're all there to Spain, you know. So that's like a big project right now, and you know, and I'm gonna put this out there. Anybody that's interested in helping me, I do need help with it okay. in many ways. Um, you know, I've kind of got a correspondent now that I'm working with in Barcelona because Barcelona and Spain is putting out a lot of music. Ooh, I got some uh, hot stuff coming one. out of Spain. Oh, my God. Mm. Roberto Sanchez, his productions are fire. Ridiculous. Shalomart, Shalomart 58 is yeah. blowing up. But uh, is it Shalomart 58 French? Uh, he is, but he's producing. I think he is, but he's living in Spain and he's producing a lot of a lot of uh, Spanish artists Wicked. and he's doing it's a lot of record. Killer you stuff. Know? I like that. I like that style of music. Wicked stuff. Yeah, and then there's um I forget the name of the label, but there's a really cool label over there too. I, I actually gave him label of the year in 2018. Mm. Um, I can't. I can't think of their name and. But they put out so much good stuff, and there's so many good bands coming out of Spain. And I mean, just South America as a whole. Morodo, were you thinking Morodo? Oh yeah, no, not Morodo. I know Morodo. I we, we've been trying to do a show with Morodo, but I don't know what's going on with him. He's kind of been quiet lately. But okay. there's a there's a label that Shalomart actually works with. Okay. Uh, I forget the name of it, but oh, um, La Panchita. La okay. Panchita yeah. Put out some great stuff. They um, definitely put out some wicked stuff. Yeah, and Charlemagne is like one of their main producers, and you know okay. they've got between him and Roberto, they they've got a great sound, man, and I really respect uh, what they're doing. You heard the so, song um, "Sound System" by Ines Pardo? Yeah, wicked. of course. Oh my God, so rough! I just love that style of music. Yeah, there's a there's my favorite. It's been one of my favorites now for about almost since it came out, almost over two years ago it's from a a band from Barcelona called Malaca Youth okay uh, and it's half English half Spanish so it's great it works it works very well for me in Miami because then it appeals to all my whole audience <laughs> it works here in San Diego <laughs> yeah exactly hmm. and uh, it's called Nonstop okay have to got check great, that one out got a great book and it does Spanish and English and you know and I've always you know I grew up in Miami so I've always been very influenced by the Latinos, especially the Cubans and then mm-hmm. and then the South Americans in the nineties. Right. Um, and I've always kind of tried to embrace that culture just like I have yeah, the man. West Indian Jamaican culture because that was my two biggest influences growing up in, in Miami. For sure. And 
you know, and now it's, and now it's, you know, it's pretty much who I am, you know, you throw in surfing and that's who I am, you know, it's absolutely, you're, that's it, that's it, definitely, it's, yeah. you have, you have good, you have definitely awesome, awesome place in South Florida to, for doing what you're doing, you got the weather, yeah. you got the beach, you got the vibes, you know, and yeah. plus you grew up there, so you know it extra good on top of all that, so. Yeah, 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 and you know, and I, I, I got to, I got to experience all these Latin cultures without even leaving Miami and, and the West Indian cultures are, you know, mm-hmm. there's very strong, you know, like I, like I can tell you in the, in the 1980, I think it was 1980 or 81 when the Marilitos came in, like half my neighbors, half my, you know, I was pretty much, it was about 90% American, mm-hmm. you know, there was, there was some old, there was some old Bay of Pig Cubanitos in the area mm-hmm. and. There was, you know, there might be a, a West Indian or a Black American here or there, mm-hmm. and but I'm telling you, 50% of my neighborhood left when the Marilitos came. I mean, there was there was good reason. We weren't going anywhere, but I, I just tried to embrace it, and you know, and I made an effort to speak Spanish and learn Spanish, and I was always trying and you know, and traveled, and you know, it, it definitely helped, and you know, so. You know, my brother lives in Nicaragua, so, you know, he speaks, his kids are perfectly fluent, you know, they're they're wow. American, they grew up in, in Nicaragua, you know, so. Wow, very cool stuff, man. Yeah, you know. Wow, man. Well, we have a very storied career in reggae music, and um, we're going to be looking out for your productions, and it's been a joy and a okay. pleasure talking to you. Um, yeah. We'll get, we'll get, we'll get this up, um. When the music comes out, we'll, we'll try and post those on the website so everybody can check those out too, all right? I, we appreciate that, Carlos. And if you ever need stories, bro, I got stories, man. All right. Well, we, will, we will do a part two <laughs> later on if this thing keeps on going. <laughs> okay. No problem, man. And, hey, man, I love you. Thank you for what you're doing and much love and much respect. And anytime I can do anything for you and um, if you ever want, uh, maybe I could interview you on your station because I'd love to hear your story too, you know? Okay. Anytime, anytime. I'd love to talk to you about it. All right? Uh, okay, Carlos. Cool, man. Thank you. All right. Take care.